0: We just
1: live right now, man. It's going down, for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins.
0: On the streets of old Milwaukee
2: was a young boy walking.
1: Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop podcast, also known as the Trey Young Stinks podcast. Today, as per usual, it's Adam Paris joining you every week, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. And I'm joined by the guys, the fellas, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. Guys, how are you doing after a crushing, crushing loss against the Atlanta Hawks?
0: Not well, Adam, if I'm being honest. Uh, Not nearly as good as Bonzi Colson, who who would have ever guessed he would have had this kind of performance in him, but we'll get into that. But not as well as he's doing right now.
1: You know, I'm a little devastated about the loss, but, you know, the universe giveth with a Liverpool last minute winner and the universe taketh with the Bucks last minute loss. So that's just how it'd be like that sometimes, I guess.
0: You guys might not be able to hear it in his voice, but we just got Kyle to stop sobbing after like five minutes before we hit record (laughs) about what just happened. So uh, (laughs) we're taking it pretty tough right now.
2: I'm going to go bang on a drum again. Like I did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And of, of course we're talking about the absolutely deflating 136 to 135 overtime loss that the Bucks had at the hands of buds, former team, the Atlanta Hawks. I don't even know. I guess we'll start with the starting lineup for with this one. I was going to say, I don't even know where to start with this. Just read, a place to start.
0: I was going to say, just read the box score from top to bottom. Every single, every single statistic, just read it out.
2: Okay. Well, let's just start with the fact that uh, today the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, coach Mike Budenholzer decided to start a lineup of Tim Frazier, Sterling Brown, Bonzi Colson, DJ Wilson, and Brooke Lopez. Kyle, first reactions when you saw that come across the wire? I, I thought it was a joke. I did not think it was real when Matt
1: Velasquez tweeted that this was the lineup. I was like, no, that can't be it. That's not real. No. And then the Bucks put the graphic on. I was like, what? No, no. This is a this is a long running joke. I get that it's April Fool's tomorrow. It's just an early April Fool's joke. Okay, cool, Bucks. No worries. You got me. And then they were actually on the court playing. I was like, this. This lineup is really going to be what the Bucks are out there. Okay, sure. If this was um, Chicago or New York, I'd say this is the most blatant attempt at tanking I've ever seen. (laughs) And yet this lineup almost won the game. Like, that's the craziest part about it. it, That lineup had no reason to be competitive at all.
2: And they started off so well. I could I honestly couldn't believe it. I was like doing some errands and stuff, so it was getting close to tip off time and I hadn't got a chance to pay attention. Then all of a sudden I saw that Colson was starting. and I, I i I had a little case of whiplash in my kitchen, I think, even though I was just standing on my own. Uh, Riley, how did you feel when you saw that bonzi the Bonzi Colson was going to get going here?
0: You guys can't even imagine the amount of excitement I felt just because. I love like random lineups like this, especially late in the season. Like, yeah, you would prefer to have full strength and go for a win anyhow. But if you're not going to have everybody available, you might as well get as weird as possible. And having DJ, Bonzi, Lopez, Frazier, and Brown out there as your starting five is as weird as you could possibly get with who was available. So I was ecstatic, confused. And then they went up 29 to 9 after like four (laughs) minutes, which is just the craziest thing. It was, it was awesome. Every, even though, it sucks that they lost. I mean, it was an awesome game from start to finish just cause it was so weird and so odd and competitive throughout too.
2: Do we have a nickname yet for, for Bonzi Colson? I've had, I've seen some thrown around on Twitter. I feel like,
0: um, no, I see people spell his first name wrong all the time. So maybe he could just be Bonzi without the E. I don't know. We can work around that possibly.
2: Can I, can I run one by you guys? Uh, I ran up by my roommate and he was pretty lukewarm on it.
0: Okay.
2: Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, what, about, later. <laughs> what about uh uh the Colson? Mm, okay, we'll
0: workshop it. We'll work <laughs> okay, shopping. all right, all right,
2: all right, all right, okay. Now I get why he was lukewarm.
0: Okay, uh, you guys
1: need to look at the post game graphic. You know how the Bucks always have like who the leaders were in points, rebounds, assists, and steals.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm looking
1: at it right now, and you know, Sterling Brown had the most points at twenty seven and he had three steals, but his pulls actually looks normal. Like this looks, that looks reasonable. And then you see Bonzi Colson with sixteen rebounds, and then Tim Fraser fifteen assists, and it looks like they literally just like photo like cut part of it out and photoshopped it. I'm like, like someone did it on Snapchat.
0: <laughs> they were <laughs> and, not whoever the FS Wisconsin or the Bucks uh, media intern is. They were not expecting this at all. <laughs> yeah, they probably
1: walked into work like, okay, whole hum, maybe honest will play. That's fine. Still have Middleton and so Okay. And then probably getting the, they probably got this and they're like, what am I going to do with this?
0: <laughs> Here's how I think we transition into talking about the game more at length, because I know we're going to spend at least an hour, maybe two on it. Um, would you guys, would you nickname <laughs> maybe this game? Two
2: hours. Yeah, maybe,
0: <laughs> would, you, would you call this game the Bonzi Colson game, the Tim Fraser game or the Sterling Brown game? Which of those three would you say is most deserving of having his name enshrined upon this game?
1: Mm, I'd probably still go Bonzi Colson. Just yeah. because I he was the unlikely like story of the game. Besides Tim Frazier not taking a break, I, I still think it's Bonzi.
2: Yeah, I agree. Just because if, just because this might be the only thing that he'll ever be able to say. Like when he's really old, like he'll only be able to say, like, I had this one game where I played 41 minutes. So I think he should have at least one game where he could call it the Bonzi game.
0: Adam surprisingly down on uh, Bonzi's future prospects with the team. <laughs> <like> that? <laughs> that was cold, uh, man.
2: I, well, yeah, I did see that Tim Fraser, the Bucks account, tweeted out that he was the first Buck since Monte Ellis in 2013 to have 20 points and 15 assists in a game.
0: That's really strange. I would have figured like Giannis would have had some crazy like he got his 20 and then just started feeding everybody. He does that on occasion. That's pretty or crazy. Like
2: Bledsoe, even I can yeah, see that Blensoe. too. Yeah. Nope, Monte Ellis. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. wow. that is,
1: you know what nothing describes this game more than Montel as being the last record holder for something in the Bucks'
2: loss guys I want to talk about uh, how Bonzi Colson looked on the court today one, okay, of the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of nine from three point land one of nine from um, three point land really didn't seem like the rock was going to fall for him today much four for four from the free throw line 15 points 16 rebounds and wouldn't you guess it? I actually feel pretty bad now. He finished a, a team high plus nine in the plus minus for the day. So I feel pretty bad for making fun
0: of him now. But look, I'm ahead. not saying that Coach Bootenholzer needs to go back to the tape and maybe, you know, take some lessons from this, but those three minutes where he left Bonzi out at the end, that's where we lost the game. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> God. Dude, I mean, before, I mean, obviously I don't think it really matters, but I was watching this game and I was thinking this has to be like the, if they, definitely if they had won, but this has to be like the game where Coach Bud over, over beating the Rockets, over beating the Warriors in Golden State, Mm -hmm. uh, over like destroying the Clippers last week. This has to be the tape that Bud sends in for his coach of the year candidacy, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. Didn't you tweet like before the game or right when the game started? This, if he got the win, this would be the ultimate flex or something like that. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, the, the the dude said, "Here's what we're gonna do, guys. I'm gonna take out everyone who's." everyone who's actually like really good and could destroy this Atlanta team. I'm going to have all the super subs play. And then we're also going to run a two, three zone for the entirety of 53 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it, was just, it literally looked like a March madness game out there. It was like two college teams the, the, the he was just running zone the whole game. It was like a, a super side Syracuse or something. And, and then half I the, lost because zone is for cowards. Half the points were coming on like back cuts. Like, the Bucks were getting back cuts over the, the, past the Atlanta Hawks' defense. Like, that, it was it was so crazy that this team, that, that this whole game was so helter-skelter like that. This reminds me
1: of when I played, like, FIFA 18, like, FIFA on Xbox, and then you kind of know your players are tired. You just throw out the worst team possible and see if you can still win. <laughs> this was a prime example of that. I just throw out, you know, the end of the bench, people that you've never heard of, guys that are probably created in, in 2K and just hope for the best.
0: I think that's kind of, I mean, I agree that you're kind of just hoping for the best, but even then, I mean, this is not a super awful Hawks team. Like they've been pretty good as of late. And then I think we should credit Colson and Fraser and Brown and everybody else who, I mean, everybody played decently urson maybe urson may, would be maybe the guy at circle is not having the greatest game but like sterling brown had the kind of game that we would expect him to have done in like a summer league setting where the offense was flowing through him for like possession after possession he's you know he answered the call like no fear whatsoever driving towards the lane driving into the lane and getting bucket after bucket to fall and then finding other guys on the perimeter so i thought he had an awesome game like Yes, it's all jokes that Bonzi and Tim Frazier had like really weird stat lines, but Sterling Brown kind of stepping up in 33 minutes and having 27 points and kind of taking the scoring load on, I thought that was super impressive from him.
2: Yeah, I think that's actually. I mean, I it, yeah, it's fun to joke around about all this stuff, but yeah, I think that's honestly the more important takeaway, especially building off of his last Clippers game, where Sterling Brown had just hit a career high in that game as well. But it it certainly seemed like a flashback, just like you said, Riley. I was I could only think of Summer League when he was when he was able to dribble, drive, get to the basket, score from the perimeter. He really he really showed the type of game that I think was the reason why you thought he might have a, a bit of a, a breakout season here under Bud too.
0: Yeah, I think. Um... It's it's I don't, I don't know if it's so much because we saw a lot of the flashes last year where I was like, oh, this guy's, like, defensively especially, is like, okay, this guy's a total nuisance to have to play against. And he was that same way today, especially matched up against Trey Young. Like, there are multi- multiple moments where Trey Young would kind of be ISOing or he'd be even be trying to just get the ball across half court and Sterling Brown would be right on top of him, like, hey, I'm still here. And there were a lot of different possessions where just because of the 2-3 zone, he had to, like, switch around and keep moving and keep with the ball. And – just for him to have the size and the ability to keep up with it and then continue to be effective and then switch over on the other side. And even if it wasn't like ice wing or a position that directly just started in his hands and ended is in his hands to continue to facilitate. I think it, it it's just amazing. I think the fact, and I think it was last year when we were, when he was selective, it was like, Oh, this guy's got like a lot of potential and to see him kind of realize it has been awesome to watch.
2: I also think Kyle, I mean, I think it says a lot about, just bud as a coach that, yeah, you would hope that these guys, when they're getting sort of their chance to shine here that they really show up and play well. But I mean, this team it, they're shorthanded only had eight guys today. uh it's made up of a bunch of guys who are certainly fitting into a role that uh, taking or at least taking on a lot more of the spotlight than they're used to. And uh, I don't know, I guess in years past, maybe you'd expect some of these guys at the end of the bench or this this Buck's team maybe not to step up like this, but the the morale is just so high across the board. It seems like these guys were playing. I mean, playing, you know, as as hard as they could, trying to eke out this win for all the guys who are resting. Meanwhile, like Giannis, Chris, and, and Bledsoe seem to be getting really hype whenever Sterling would make a big shot or anything big would go down on the on the court too.
1: Yeah, I think it's a sign of what kind of coach Bud is just by empowering those guys. I mean, I got, like you mentioned, there's only eight of them. And, you know, for someone like Sterling Brown or DJ Wilson or Pat Connaughton, they're trying to, you know, make a claim to get either more playing time or play in the playoffs when the rotation gets cut down the eight before, you know, Miratich and Brock get back. And then you have someone like Bonzi who's playing pretty much for his career, more or less. Like, we don't know if he's going to be brought back next year. He's trying to, you know, make sure that he just, he takes his opportunity and plays his way onto a roster. Like it's, You know, stuff like that where, you know, those guys wanted to get the win, and you can see it on the bench, like Giannis is going in the huddles and clapping and encouraging them, and I think it's just showing that, you know, Bud trusts these guys enough that they can win the game, and, you know, the players in return almost pulling it out and showing that they can do it, so it's definitely a change in, yeah, change in morale and change of approach, and I get that it's also back-to-back, which is probably why Bledsoe and Middleton didn't play, but... It, it's just – it is a good sign that things are – that's how well things are going this season, that we're in April. And, I mean, you still have something to play for in getting the number one seed. Like, the Magic number is still two. So you still have a number one seed to play for, and you could have played, you know, Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe just make sure that you get it wrapped up. But, you know, you believe that your guys can get the win, and they almost did. And, you know, seeing a performance that Sterling Brown had, it was great. Um, seeing, you know, Bonzi Colson get some run is great. Brooke Lopez wasn't missing a beat, even though he was pretty much playing with guys that I'm sure he hasn't played with consistently. So it was, I mean, it stinks that they lost, but it is an encouraging sign at least that, you know, the players, the, how deep the roster is, like your end of the bench guys can still compete with other NBA teams.
0: Well, and I think just kind of hopping on that too, what it was, what I thought was interesting as the game kind of developed. I mean, they only had eight guys to work with and even while the game was going on, I think Katie George had an update or like in between a break, she said something along the lines of like during a timeout coach, Bud went to Bonzi and, you know, kind of like tried to rewrite like where the five blue squares are that they have at the practice facility. Like, okay, I need you here. You shouldn't be running inside. You need to be going to one of these spots. So like, even the fact that his offensive system, he's like, okay, we have like zero starters. We're going to throw these five dudes out there and we're still going to be like really close throughout, or like even, blow the doors off Atlanta in the first quarter to get 43 points right out the gate. I think that's a testament to his willingness to like throw new guys in there and like trust them to, if you continue to instruct them and coach them up, they'll get the process. And the fact that the process is so relatively simple offensively that, you know, guys who have never really played with the upper team, except for garbage minutes get 41 minutes and they're still able to have an impact positively. I think that's, uh, you know, that that's such a good sign and such a good, on a, like check Mark next to Bud's resume. Like, you know, he can toss anybody out there and the system. will still continue to work, which I think is awesome.
2: Yeah. And especially, I mean, you look at the kind of guys who you would expect the people who are getting regular rotation minutes, obviously Sterling Brown had a day, but you'd think a guy like, you know, Brooke Lopez had 19 points. He was plus six. I mean, he did really well, but a lot of his scoring effort came in in that like first quarter and first half when he was just hitting that barrage of threes, uh, eat only seven points on the day. Um, you know, George Hill does his thing with 18 points, but a lot of these raw counting stats are just going to be really high because the pace was absolutely incredible between these two teams. But I think it said a lot about, um, you know, you don't have a, a lot of guys that you would necessarily trust with the ball in their hands, but I think it says a lot though, that bud would be like, look, this is Sterling's game to take over. I mean, he had the chance to try and win it at the end of regulation and he was the one that got them the lead at the very close of OT with the dribble drive to the basket and um, really good job of finishing by him. I think that's something that he's really improved on this year. Uh, but I mean, doing that as opposed to giving it to George Hill or um, even like trying to set up a set play. I mean, it was a lot of like, you just set a screen for Sterling and, and he's going to have to make it himself. I think that says a lot about the trust that he has in Sterling, hopefully bodes well going into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think we'll end up having a discussion probably next week as we get closer to playoffs, given the rotation situation. But I think today and just the way that it ended up playing out was a huge uh, endorsement for Sterling and kind of the role and probably end up playing in the postseason, I would guess.
2: Yeah, it was it was really too bad that um, I, I think it does say something, though, about like maybe a little bit of the the. Rebounding ability uh, of this team, you know, they have a defensive rebounding of seventy six point six percent today, which obviously isn't as high as the Bucks have usually been. But uh, you know, it says a lot that the Hawks were basically able to kind of win win the game on like a a weird tip thing that Brook Lopez tries to tip it out, but then it ends up in Trey Young's hands, and then at the end of regulation too, that was a shot they couldn't get the rebound, and then Alex Len gets another opportunity to tie the game, and um, so so that was kind of too bad that the game didn't go the Bucks' way today, but. Um, you know, any other like interesting, what other like weird, interesting stuff did you guys see today? I tweeted this out during the game, but did did anyone else think that Bonzi Colson reminded them of like Jabari
0: Parker's? I was animalism? just going to say, I had the same exact thought when he was out there. I was like, he's got, I wouldn't say they're like body, like what's the word I'm looking for, body twins. Like they're not matches per se, but they both have like this really stocky, like core, And, like, long limbs. I thought the same exact thing, Adam, that he looked a lot like Jabari Parker. I did not think that. Okay, okay. okay. I can see
1: see where people are getting that idea, but I don't know. It kind of reminded me more of, like, Sterling when he was in Summer League and he was just, like, thick and big. It kind of reminded me more
0: like that. Yeah, I don't know, like the way Bonzi plays is so odd because he gets the 16 rebounds, and part of that probably is because of Brooke Lopez out out there, like bodying people and the Hawks. I think what Alex Lynn had 27 minutes, but they're not like an especially gigantic team, so that helps him out as well. But the fact that it his entire like skill set rebounding is like, I'm gonna use my really long arms and just hope I can tip it enough to get it free that I'm able to go and get the rebounds. I thought that was it's just a really strange way to play and definitely a unique aspect that I'm not sure a lot of other players, his size, because I think he's only like six seven. I can't guarantee that. But he, I got he's it. Up. Not, yeah,
2: he's, he's six, six with a wingspan of 7 foot.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So the fact that he's so good at controlling his body and able to get those 16 rebounds, I thought that was impressive. But I, I thought the same exact thing. I was like, wow, he kind of has like Jabari Parker's body type a little bit. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, with like the I just kind of see like his his thick his torso just seems so much thicker than than his legs or his arms that just seem to seem to like go sort of spread out. It's like a it's like a turtle with a really long wingspan or something. <laughs> um. I'm sure he would love to hear that. <laughs> 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 we love you, Bonzi. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle, any other like weird observations from this one? Um, they took a lot
1: of threes. I know you mentioned the pace of it, but. Holy hell, they took a lot of threes. I think they took, like, what, 100 and – it was it was over 107 because that was the record. But I got – It was 116. You. I got it here. That's an insane amount of threes. And, you know, that kind of showed in the game when Milwaukee just went off to that blistering start. They were – I think they started 4-4 four four before Atlanta called the timeout. And, you know, things are going great in the first quarter. And then they couldn't hit threes while Atlanta was able to hit through threes to trim the lead. And then it kind of just became a we're just gonna just gun and shoot, which again makes sense with the personnel that both teams had. But so man, but I think just so many threes, and I think that showed like how easy a run can happen in the NBA, where you know one minute you're up twenty something, the next minute your lead is only down to three, just because you know hit a couple threes, and you're right back in the game. So it was, yeah, that was. Way too many threes for me to count, and I think a lot of them were ill advised. Like I think Trey Trey Young like chucked one from like thirty five before, you know, before taking over at the end of the game.
2: Yeah, and the other the other thing I was just looking at that the stats on cleaning the glass that has the where the shots came from. So one of the things that stood out to me was Milwaukee just two for twelve on corner three pointers today. Meanwhile, Atlanta goes nine for fifteen from the corner. So, I mean, that's a pretty stark difference considering that's generally the easiest shot in the game.
0: Uh, the only other note I have besides shout-out Bonzi one last time, um, Sterling Brown, do you guys remember earlier this season when, like, it was right at the start of the DJ Wilson renaissance when I think he either found Giannis for, like, a dunk or he was just on the corner when Giannis dunked in. Like, DJ did this mid-air stomp, like, celebration on the court of Giannis flushing it at home. Um I thought that was—I uh, thought it was funny at the time, but it seemed like he transferred that energy over to Sterling because there were multiple possessions down the stretch where Sterling would find someone like on that Ursan three. Sterling was so hyped up, like flying all over the court after Ursan made the three. I thought that was really cool to watch. So I think uh, the team, even though they lost, they're in a really good place, just like mentally, mindset-wise. It's it's a lot of fun to watch right now.
2: Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. I just want to say real quickly, I guess that the, the 76.6% defensive rebounding rate isn't that different from the season average, but obviously those offensive rebounds that Atlanta got were, were critical there. Um, shout out these guys for going 22 for 23 from the free throw line. I think that's pretty impressive considering it's a lot of guys who typically um, you know, typically aren't going to be playing in the game. And then, and meanwhile, Atlanta goes just 10 for 17. So that really helped them stay in the game. Um even amidst all the all the sloppy play, what did you, what did you guys think of the of the zone scheme? I, I feel like we've we've maybe seen like a little bits and pieces of it throughout the year, and obviously it's not working at full capacity. Uh, really, the the you know just a few guys who would actually probably um, actually make it work. You know, I mean like Tim Fraser and, and Bonzi Colson obviously won't be in there. So, did you have any any takes on on how that might have worked? Uh, it, obviously its in its extended run today.
0: Kyle, zone do you have it. Yeah, I was gonna zone go Zone is for, for cowards.
2: Mm. <laughs> I,
0: I, I'm not a fan mm. of
1: zone. I, it, it's for cowards. I I get the concept of it, but and it worked. Like Trey Young did not shoot the ball particularly
0: well when the Bucks ran the zone, but zone is still for cowards. I don't feel super duper strongly about it. I thought. The Hawks were definitely caught off guard from the get go, but it didn't take them super duper long to kind of adjust their approach to be able to account for it. Like, there are a lot of possessions where once they got used to the fact that for whatever reason we were going to run the zone the entire game, they would, you know, either do a pass fake or kind of a lot of off ball movement to sort of get in a position to break it. So, I think, I mean, it's fine that they did it. I don't. You know, I'm not like mad about it or anything like that, but I'm not sure if it's going to be a uh, viable strategy for anything more than like two or three possessions in the playoffs just to give another team a different look.
2: Yes, yeah, so you're okay that Bud tipped his hand here.
0: Yeah, yeah okay. I'm so mad that he, I can't <laughs> believe he revealed our secret weapon this early to leave. lead. What the hell was he thinking?
2: I thought it was fascinating that he decided to um, go with this, go with the zone here. And I, it's interesting that Trey Young went just five for 19 when I, it kind of seems like this would the zone would be specifically built for Trey Young to succeed if he could just like penetrate easily. And I mean, he had 16 assists on the day, so that's probably part of it too. Um, so yeah, there was a fascinating move by, by Bud and maybe just a, a product of the fact that these guys probably haven't played that many practice minutes together. Not that they practice a ton, but like that these guys just were able to be able to execute that pretty easily. So one more one more, one
0: uh, more. I'm not sure if anybody else caught this, but there was like a moment in the third quarter where uh, Jim Pashi was like, Marcus,, uh, this is one of six games this season being broadcast in prime time to India. And, like, There was a, it felt like a 30 second, just dead air moment where Marcus was processing that or like trying to figure out how the hell he was going to respond. And Marcus just like, India? Wow. (laughs) And I think it's notable that there are going to be millions of people in the Indian subcontinent going to bed tonight thinking that Sterling Brown and Bonzi Colson are some of the best basketball players this planet has. So uh, (laughs) shout out to all our new Indian listeners. We love you guys. And uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. Yeah,
1: I think um, one of the things I laughed at was when Bonzi hit that three and you can just hear someone just say, bro, what? <laughs> and I was like, I think that incapped, that and Riley, the meant that moment of Marcus and Jim, I think that is a great description of how to describe that game.
0: Oh, God. Oh, what a week. What a week.
2: Wow. wow that, was, that was an incredible game. All right. Well, let's go back and look at just a little bit at the week that was uh, – you were saying this before we went on, but i kind, of, kind of just wound up being a couple of ho-hum victories despite facing some of the better teams in the Westford Conference and the Clippers and the Rockets. So last Thursday, the Bucks win 128 to 118 against the Clippers. The end, end score kind of seems closer than how it felt like that game really went. Um, and then the 104 to uh, 98 victory against the Rockets was the was the big one there. Uh, guys, I, so I, I was traveling for work on Thursday, so I still haven't gotten a chance to watch like the first three quarters or whatever, of that Clippers game. So Riley, I'm going to throw it to you first. What really stood out to you in that, in that Los Angeles win, win for the Bucks over the Los Angeles,
0: the Clippers had to play Garrett temple for 36 minutes. And I think that'll go ahead and wrap up the game summary for you. And I don't know. It was a boat race, but it's, like, one of those double-edged, like, it's impressive because the Clippers have been good all season, obviously, and that's why Doc Rivers is a potential Coach of the Year candidate. Um, But they were also down a couple of key guys, and they had to run every single guy they had available got minutes, which is uh, super strange. But um, I'm not sure if you can take away a lot except for the fact that this game and the Houston Rockets game as well as that Chris Middleton continues to have, I have to pull up his March numbers, but he's he's had a hell of a run the past couple of weeks, which is super awesome. Because I was getting a little worried as we were getting closer there, but I'm not sure the Clippers game besides Giannis like dominating as he you know usually does. Uh, there's not much more to say than Chris Middleton. Good for having another game and uh, keep it up, sir.
1: Yeah, Ryan Holland's being on the broadcast. Who mm. <laughs>
0: shall absolute- not be.
1: <laughs> bleeping 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 bad idea um, yeah I don't know why it was there but um, in seriousness uh, the Clippers having a really good shooting night though they shot the ball really well from three and you know the Bucks were still in control the majority of the game and a big part of that was just because Chris Giannis was just a two-headed monster that he's they were just better than everyone else on the court and they showed it and they flexed those muscles So even when, you know, a couple threes goes the Clippers way, Middleton can just hit back with a three or Giannis just gets a layup or a dunk. And it was kind of that kind of just showed like when those two are playing at a high level, that's why, you know, you wonder, okay, you got to pay Chris the backs. Like it's kind of the game like that where when he's on, he's on.
0: Yeah. And so much of it too is like, cause I kind of pulled up his numbers like over the month of March, he's been, he's above his season averages in like every single statistical category, I think is like three point percentage overall is down a little bit, but he's returned to, I think the second most numerous or maybe his first most numerous shot uh, was from three. And then after that, it was like right around the basket and then that 15 to 19 foot zone. So it's not like he's playing radically differently. It's just, we're as chris is want to do he's just right in the midst of a really good shooting streak which is you know you'll take it because what else are you going to do but the the have come together at this time when the team needs it most especially with Giannis having all these kind of ankle issues which we'll get to kyle's tape the damn ankle segment next um i i just think for everybody who is agonizing over it and we still have yet to get the playoffs and we'll have to see how it lasts throughout the playoffs but the fact that he's kind of come around as of late is you know Super reassuring, especially at least for me personally, as we head into the playoffs.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna do uh, the sort of like guy who missed a good chunk of the game, but's looking at the box score and something seems really weird to me. So I'm looking at it, and it's like um, the starters are Giannis is plus one, Middleton's plus two, Lopez minus three, Bledsoe minus four, Brown minus ten. And then you look at the bench; it's like Wilson plus eight, Urson plus twenty, um, Hill and Conant plus twenty four and plus twenty respectively. But you know, meanwhile, like the bench only takes what is that eight, like fourteen shots total. The like the entire game, so they they end up scoring thirteen points. The entire bench does, and yet they were a huge part of that. So, was there? Did you guys see some sort of part of those guys just filling in around, uh, maybe Chris and Chris and Giannis specifically that really seemed to key the runs in that game? Kyle, I mean,
1: I think it was just one of those where they knew who the hot guy was and you know, they were both getting open looks. So I think they were just going with the flow of the offense. Um, They were on the court when Giannis, I feel like Giannis and Chris were on the court. I feel like a long time besides, you know, Giannis rolling his ankle because tape the damn ankles. Um, But yeah, it just seemed like they were just running the flow of the offense and that flow just, you know, they found Middleton and he was able to hit a shot or they got Giannis. And he was just able to take it at hoop. Like, they were just kind of just like, all right, here you go. Um, if you need us, let us know. Like, we'll shoot this three. But <laughs> no. it seems like YouTube got this under control.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'll be standing over in the corner just in case. Like, you know, just let me know if you need any help. Be honest, but you're good over there. No, I think it's it's one of those things that. As we talk about almost every single episode, I think the vagaries of individual game plus minuses like Mm -hmm. just happened to have been out there when Giannis and Chris were doing really well and the uh, whoever was on the floor for the Clippers not nearly so much so. Uh, Not sure if you can go ahead and say that George Hill is the surefire answer to what will be a finals winning uh, team, but uh, just, just, uh, I mean, I I guess what you could say is it's positive that they were out there for such significant minutes and they did lock it up, which is, again, just a testament to how everybody can kind of play a role without having to have the ball run directly through their hands. But I'm not sure if you should say like, oh, this is is a lineup that they have to run out to uh, win games.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I'm certainly not trying to say that. I just thought it was an interesting, interesting aspect there with the bench clearly taking a back seat and letting Chris Middleton work. All right, well, let's move on to the Rockets game where Chris Middleton also heaved up a bunch of shots, but had a far worse night from the field. Um, he went just six of 23, one for eight from three really couldn't buy a bucket that night. But in that, uh, 108, 94 victory, it seemed like it was going to be a battle of the MVP candidates in Giannis and Harden. But as most people know already, it was Eric Bledsoe who stole the show. So Kyle, what was the, what was really the standout moment to you from that Bledsoe fueled run in the third quarter? Um,
1: I think it was just like he was able to hit big shot after big shot, but it wasn't even his offense that really stood out to me. It was yes. that his defense. They he they did the same exact defense they did the last game where they just sat on Harden's left hip a little bit behind him and Harden still could not adjust and make plays off of it. Like that I think was the biggest part was his continued just defensive genius on Harden and just slowing him down and forcing Harden to I think Harden took like 29 shots and only scored 26 points. Like it was like, that was the kind of thing that really stood out to me. I mean, him hitting a couple threes in a row and him getting layups. I mean, that was awesome, but it was the defense in particular on um, that stood out to me. And I think it was also impressive was him and George Hill and Connaughton. They were just getting steals in the backcourt left and right. It seems like, you know, every four four or five possessions, they ended up getting a steal in the backcourt of Houston. And, that I, And that was also something that wasn't according to plan. So just the idea that Bledsoe kind of just – is he a secret defensive mastermind? Because this is now twice that he's kind of just gone off the rails and did his own thing and has paid off.
0: I'm not sure if it's so much it's off the rails. I'm sure he, like, tells Coach Bud before the game, like, <laughs> it's not like he goes out there and says, yeah, 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 okay, <laughs> okay, Coach, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm just going to do my own thing. I, I doubt that's it, but I agree that uh, it's, it's impressive – that he's able to kind of uh, not even on the fly, but come up with the general idea of how he wants to defend a certain, especially when another team has a guard, that's, you know, the end all be all like James Harden to come up with a plan, like, okay, this is how it's going to work and run it by coach Bud and kind of convince him. Cause as we've seen, in I think recent articles, coach Bud isn't the easiest guy to necessarily convince to change the plans on. Um, And I think the Rockets game was probably just besides Eric Blitz, all the other starters kind of had relatively ho hum games. And so, this last Atlanta Hawks game and then the Rockets game as well is just a continual testament to how deep the team is because the Rockets, once you get past their top five, they're grasping at straws for any sort of help off the bench as they have been all season. They gotten by with Harden kind of leading the way, but the fact that you're able to have so many guys come off the bench, especially Pat Connaughton having an awesome game, but it could be any certain guy any given night. And that gives you a lot of freedom to kind of mix and match and move things around, depending on how people are playing, which is a nice option to have.
2: Yeah. And I think an underrated part of that game is, you know, some of the like criticism around bud has kind of been, and it sort of seemed a little warranted when he seemed like unwilling to move from his defensive strategy early in the season. But we've seen, we've seen him move away as like it. uh a, a some accusations that he can't really adjust in the middle of a playoff series, right? Like that he might have trouble adapting to what's going on. But I feel like when you're doing stuff, um, some of the like extreme level, interesting stuff that he does, like, you know, shade hardened to that degree. And obviously that was Eric Bledsoe who reportedly really pushed it to the maximum umpteenth degree in that game. But, you know, Bud had to have a game plan for that. And these sort of like single game game plans that feels like we didn't necessarily have in years past. And maybe that's just like me feeling hurt that we didn't have a great coach or whatever. And like, this is just what the rest of the league knows what it's like. But it does feel like like we have, like it's just seeing these these single game um adjustments that happen that that bud has instituted and and tried to really make work for this team give give me a little bit of give me a lot more hope for what might happen in the in the playoffs when we face off a team and maybe if they try to do something one way and we need to adjust uh, going from one game to the other
0: sir are you trying to say jason Kidd wouldn't wasn't he wasn't in like he didn't want to run a two three zone the entire time he was the coach (laughs) of the team i'm sure he died every single game like hey 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 Joe, is this the game we can run the 2-3 zone? Is this it or Well, have
1: uh, pass, Sean Sweeney and Sean Sweeney's like
0: Oh, yeah, sorry, my bad. Sean. Sean, can we run the 2-3 zone this time or no? Okay, never mind.
2: <laughs> I was uh I was talking with my with my boss who's a Rockets fan, but he also went to Cal and uh wow. um I know. Well, so it worked out really well cuz cuz Cal was looking for a coach, so I got to sort of share with him. He was like, "Yeah, maybe Jason Kidd could, could get hired." And I was like, "Yeah, um, I don't really know if you want him, and he was like, "Well, well, why?" And then I, I like rattled off like all of the angst and hate that Bucks fans have had for years against Jason Kidd on the car ride to lunch. So, um, he quickly learned uh, that Jason Kidd might not have been the the smartest hire there at Cal. So, thankfully, they didn't have to get him, but. Can do you, you know, imagine him recruiting players just like how much of <laughs> a mess that would have been?
0: It would be all it would be would be in-home visits and he challenged the player to one-on-ones and first to five. That would be the entire recruiting strategy. You've heard it here first.
1: And it, it would also be like, Okay, do you
2: think you're better than this player who I'm all recruiting? <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> that would be that would be amazing when he brings in he brings in the recruiting class every time and is like all right guys who's the leader of this recruiting class just just over and over i bet he like would make them in practice where um they're like uh scout.com ranking their number of stars like on their jersey or whatever he would probably make them do that to try and see who's the best oh well God. <laughs> the, the the other defensive thing that's obviously really uh, amazing about this pucks team and they are really well calibrated to try and um, beat this Rockets team even though they allow the most threes in the league is the fact that they, they hold up so well at the rim. And so the interesting thing about that game is that, you know, it, it's just over and over, James Harden certainly could get to the paint, but he's immediately meeting Giannis and Brooke and trying to throw these insane floaters over their outstretched arms. I mean, that's been a shot that Harden's really – Really mastered, but he's doing that as opposed to trying to go up for contact and maybe he'll get blocks. So he only ends up with five free throw attempts on the game, but just Riley running into those, that level of, of defense right at the rim and then trying to get it over that length had to be a, an incredible part of, of why he struggled from the, for the night.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And we've seen it like game after game. And even today against the Hawks, like it was kind of a similar story. They they got a lot of putbacks just because like the bonzi colson irson Silva front line is not going to end up being the greatest rebounding uh, tandem in the league. But I think it's such a facet of the way this team plays or like the the approach that even if you're a guard who's able to get into the paint with relative ease, the fact that you then have at the end of all the movement you have to do to get there, you have a couple of dudes with like seven foot long wingspans, like stand there with their arms straight up to, and then it's not even just that, but the fact that the defense continues to like be able to fluid, fluidly move and kind of crash over onto James Harden or whoever the guy happens to be. So that all of a sudden he's, he's pushing into the paint and everybody crashes, but stays, you know, in a way that doesn't give Harden any other choice, but to try to go one V four within like a five foot radius, which even for a guy like Harden is a tough, you know, tough task to answer to. So I I think the fact that you've had two games where even though Harden scored quite a bit, um, he struggled in certain ways is a positive especially when we might face teams in the playoffs where it's like okay you, we're going to have to try and get broken down by this one single guy or like these select guys and you have the ability to continue to do that and you've had a track record of do, track record of doing that as well
2: track record i love that that's a
0: track record you have a track <laughs> <on
2: it. laughs> i like it <that>. yep <laughs> uh Kyle the only the only other thing i did want to mention is that we we've talked before about Eric Bledsoe and his value as potentially the defensive tempo and tone setter and this I think it's it's just been absolutely most pronounced in these both both of these Rockets games and when he is trailing James Harden and Harden is like it seems like he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head anymore and he's like fearing the fact that Bledsoe's behind him and the couple of times he just swatted his shot right out of there um it you know I think that both obviously Giannis can be the tone setter all game but Chris I think certainly brings that Um, that level of energy and and tone setting on the offensive end but come playoff time I think we're really going to need Bledsoe to bring that same sort of energy on the defensive end right I think so and I think he's going to prove
1: that you know last year was just a weird fluke of a performance and you know he just didn't have it Uh, I think defensively he's going to be the key especially depending on who they match up against whether it's Miami or the Nets or Charlotte or Orlando like a couple of those teams have point guards that Bledsoe's really going to want to like just make sure and clamp down and not let them have any moment. And you know, he's considering he's better than all of those other point guards, I think it's going to be I think it's going to happen. So I think he can do it. I'm confident in it. And, you know, like I said, I think he has like some defensive mastermind in him that he's going to see what's going on and he can make adjustments if needed.
0: And I think just one more point on Bledsoe as well. I think just thinking about him in general and the way that he's worked within Bud's system, we've seen, at least on the offensive end, like his usage rate and his turnover rates have dropped like, you know, a significant couple of percentage points since, you know, even just last year, his just averages over the past three or four seasons. So he's still effective on offense without having to have everything kind of run through him or having a, you know, unmanageable load. And I think that'll help so that he's not focusing. Like I have to answer for everything or like be a real standout on offense. I can kind of focus a little bit more defensively and, you know, expend more energy because the way the offensive system works is more qualitative. Giannis is awesome. Chris is kind of rounding into form as well. So I think as throughout the season, Bud is probably focused on, okay, you're going to have a third role. It's still going to be important, but it's going to be set up in a way that you're not expending all your energy offensively and then you're not able to bring it what we know you can bring on the defensive end. So I, I'm curious how that's going to play out uh, in the playoffs round right after round. But I think if that can kind of stay with the way it's been all season, that bodes well for the way uh, the Bucks should play.
2: All right, guys. Any other any other main points either of you wanted to make about the past week before we shift ahead and, and look ahead into the what's coming
0: up? Not particularly. How many games are we away from locking up the first seed? Two. Two games. Yeah, it's uh, – I was looking – I've been kind of looking at the standings a little bit. It, there's still so much chaos that could happen, like seeds four through ten, I think, just because everything's so close. So, uh, it's. Uh, it's. An, it should be a really fun end of the season. I'm not sure – hopefully, once the Bucks clinch it, we're going to get a lot of regular Tim Frazier 48-minute performances. So, I doubt today is a one-off, <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's really the only thing to circle here heading on out.
2: Yeah, I agree. It And it seems like, and the bucks are also really close to locking up fingers crossed. Should they get to the NBA finals uh, home court for the NBA finals, regardless of whether they have home court over Toronto or not with both golden state at Denver sitting right at, at 51 wins. So I think they're, I think they only need one more win to get there um, based on how many games are left. So um, that's a that's a great sign too, and the, it seems like the eighth seed in the East is going to come right down to the right down to the wire, right, Kyle? Yeah, I, you know, I would look to see who's eighth in the East, but I'm sure that's going to change.
1: It five minutes later, it's it's interesting between I think it's places six through ten. Like all of the teams are two and a half games. Are that's the only thing that separates them. So I don't think. Charlotte's going to have enough of a run to make it, so it's kind of just depending on, you know, can Orlando or Miami, you know, or it's like Orlando, Miami, Brooklyn, how they're going to kind of battle out because I think Detroit is going to feel relatively safe, but those other teams, it's going to be exciting. So I hope the Bucks can just clinch home court on Monday, and then I can just kick my feet up and score or watch the rest of the week.
0: Do you guys think they're going to get to sixty wins? We they're going to need win need to win four out of the last five to get there. But do you think they'll be able to do it? Do you think they care to do it? Do they even once they lock up the first seed? They're like whatever, like Tim Frazier. Yeah, okay. I don't three think
1: they I don't think they'll care to do it if they already get the one seed. I think they will, but I don't think they care.
0: Okay.
2: I think yeah, I think they'll get there. They they have Brooklyn twice. Um, they want they're going to want to beat Atlanta. Uh, next week for sure they might get Uh, failure without Embiid
0: what are the odds that they try to we'll talk about this when we talk about the weekend what are the odds they run out the exact same lineup for the Atlanta game at home (laughs) 120 percent
2: or 1000 percent I'd be (laughs) so mad if I bought tickets for the game (laughs) like (laughs) what is this well but yeah what is this but also like you know you bought tickets for like a really late season Atlanta Hawks Bucks game like you could you, you know you're not expecting them to be running out of the starting lineup. <laughs> You're you know getting what, I
0: mean? what you paid for. You getting yeah, what you paid for for sure. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you you can just explore the explore the beautiful Pfizer forum that game.
0: There we go. All
2: right, all right. Let's um, let's move on to uh, a more somber note. We found out uh, this past week that Dante Divincenzo, uh, Lord and Savior of the Bruhoo Podcast, will be done for the season. He shelved that Hilbertitus. Just couldn't kick it, man. He is going to be out for the season, and um, according to Malika Andrews, who who follows the team, sources told them last Tuesday that Dante DiVincenzo was out for the year. He's supposed to make a full recovery in the offseason, but guys, let's turn Dante's Inferno this week into a moment of silence. This power, Dante. We can use it together!
0: I think I can be a professional
2: basketball player. All right. That's been Dante's Inferno. Uh,
0: (laughs) I had to fight everything not to laugh right there. I would have my hand over my mouth because it's so ridiculous. (laughs) Oh God. All
2: right. Well, any, I mean, any, any just closing thoughts since we obviously won't really have the segment for the rest of the season, any, any closing thoughts that we want to have on, on Dante's, I would say, um, you know, too sadly truncated season.
0: He did stuff. <laughs> that was, uh, that's what I remember him for this year is he did stuff. He, uh, he, I'll give him credit. He went from like, was it was it our very first podcast together talking about the Dante Di Vincenzo pick?
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, I I was not confident in the selection. I was more confident in DJ Wilson coming into the season than Dante DiVincenzo. So uh, I guess credit to him for doing stuff and making me think that there's still a viable NBA player somewhere in there and uh, hopefully they don't have to amputate his foot.
2: Kyle, anything, anything else beyond hopefully they don't amputate Dante DiVincenzo? <laughs> you have fun.
0: a higher note to end on than that?
2: sorry i was light uh, i was starting my candlelight vigil
1: so (laughs) uh oh
0: (laughs) To ruin the ceremony sorry yeah
1: it's all right um i was i mean i was pretty positive on dante going into the season and after drafting him like i didn't think he was gonna be like you know a starter like this like key guy off the bench but i figured he'd show he kind of like what you said just doing stuff and he did show that he can play in the nba and i think if his shot can if he can just increase his shooting then he's going to be a really valuable piece for a bench guy but i'm glad he at least wasn't a bust it made me feel better it i kind of feel justified in saying he was going to be fine so yeah i'm gonna go back to this candlelight vigil so
0: Put the banner wow. up. Dante D. Vincenzo's 2018, 2019 season wasn't a bust. <laughs> Put it up on the <laughs> Pfizer Forum. Considering <laughs> the
1: last couple years, the Bucks for the Bucks first round pick, the rookie years have been abysmal. That's good. It's true.
2: Yeah, I feel fine about it. I didn't realize that he also did a segment on the jump about it. Um, with Dante out for the season. How concerned should Bucks fans be after another retreat? All right. Well, that's sad to hear that Dante's out, but uh, moving on to bigger and better things. So we talked a little bit about the playoff seating already. So let's, let's guys, let's move right into talking about the week ahead. So Monday, the Bucks will take on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, April Fool's Day, of course. And then on Thursday, they head to Philadelphia, take on the 76ers. Saturday, they get the Brooklyn Nets once again. And then next Sunday, as we already discussed, they're taking on the Atlanta Hawks late at the FISER Forum. Uh, let's, let's dive a little deeper before we do our predictions on how the Bucks will do that week on that for that 76ers game, Riley, what's something that you're going to be looking for that one? Um, after the, uh, really big Sunday matchup between the Bucks and the Sixers that went the Sixers way a couple of weeks ago.
0: That's a good question. I guess if I was to choose one thing, it's gotta be the Giannis versus Ben Simmons matchup, right? Like, can we top he's an effing baby? Cause there a way we can get <laughs> over the top from that on national TV again. Um, no, I think it'll just be how, just because the previous Celtics or Celtics the previous 76ers game is so fresh in our minds. Like what kind of tangible adjustments are there? Like we, we just talked about on this podcast, like, Bud is willing to adjust and kind of make changes depending on the opponent. And when you're playing a team that you faced just a couple of weeks ago and you're there's, you know, every possibility if the standings hold that you might face them in the Eastern Conference Finals, if Eastern Conference Finals, if they end up getting there, are you gonna change it all that much? Or is it gonna be like, okay, we're just we're gonna ride Giannis again and then hope that the really weird outlier shooting games kind of return to normal? Um, so I guess the focus would be Giannis versus either Embiid or Simmons and then otherwise just the general shooting numbers. But I, I don't expect it to be like a real crazy, like, wow, this is this is really outside of the norm once again.
2: Yeah, Kyle, do you have anything? And just as a quick note, it looks like I Joel Embiid is hurt. He's supposed to be reevaluated Thursday. So we probably won't know till that day whether he's gonna play or not. So um does that change your change your idea at all for what to look for in that game, Kyle? Uh not really. I still think the Bucks will win that game. Um
1: it's just one of those where I think the matchup against Giannis, and I don't even know, like, are we 100% sure Giannis is even going to play that game? No, he has, he has to play that game. I mean,
0: <laughs> where do we go first, everybody?
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, all right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be kind of like what Riley said. The outli- I think the outlying outlier shooting is going to be the key factor because I think Milwaukee played well enough, I'd say, Patrick's Day to get the win. It was just they couldn't hit the shots that they got the shots like the looks but they didn't get the fall and i think that's going to change also i don't think um you know philly's bench guys who like mike scott are going to suddenly hit threes out of nowhere i it, it's just not my feeling I, and i feel like chris is going to have to be due a big game because he maybe he's going to start getting into that like playoff mindset so I don't think it makes a difference whether Embiid plays or not. I think the only thing that affects it is how the Sixers approach guarding Giannis because, obviously, Simmons can't guard Giannis, and Giannis made that perfectly clear in the post-game interviews. Like, yeah, Embiid guarding me is tough. Simmons guarding me it's just a cakewalk.
2: Yeah, and uh, the only reason I said he has to play is because I'll be at that game. So, and last ah, year okay. he didn't play. Last year he didn't play either, uh, which was really tough to go to that game and see the Bucks get waxed. I think by like thirty points. Uh, now, Jason Kidd's final player. game as a
0: coach. <sighs> hey, hey, Adam. When you're in the stands at the mm-hmm. arena, what kind of fan are you? Are you a very vocal Bucks fan, or are you just kind of there for the ride and you know try not to get ribbed too hard by other fans? Or what's your approach?
2: I think I'm. I, I try to. I'm a pretty calm and collected guy. I mean, if there's another Bucks fan I, around me, I get I get pretty excited. But I don't like to be the guy that's going to throw it in everyone's face. I just find that fan to be really obnoxious. And I would, if I was in a Bucks game and a 76ers fan was at the game, I would be annoyed to do that, and it would ruin my uh, enjoyment of the game. That being said, uh, I'm going with my Sixers fan roommate, and I'm going to shove it in his face the whole game whenever he dunks on Ben Simmons. So. Um, I'm excited to do that, but I I'm also open to changing my mindset. So if people want to tweet at me, things I should yell in the stands, um, family friendly, please. Um, it's at Adamar Paris or tweet at brew hoop. Just let me know what sort of stuff I should be doing while I'm in enemy, enemy territory to sort of, um, maybe seed some, uh, um, you know, sour little insurrection from the fans and let them know that the bucks are going to be, uh, taking down the Sixers in the playoffs should they meet up. Um, anything else you guys need me to do while I'm at that game to make sure that, uh, should I, should I wear like a a sign that says follow brew hoop? I mean, do that. And, um,
1: (laughs) I don't know how you're going to be able to manage this, but find a way to tape Giannis's
2: ankles. (laughs) Tape (laughs) the damn thing. If you can manage to sneak in and do that. Great. All right. Well, I'll see if I can go in and get, throw some, throw some tape down there, um, for, (laughs) for Yanni to put those on. Um, but otherwise, I'll, I'll do my best to, to carry the banner for the Bucks and uh, try and cheer them on while in enemy, enemy territory. Some of the Sixers fans can get a little rowdy, at least from past experience in games that I've gone to. So
0: hopefully, yeah. hopefully I did it's
1: kind of weird. I just thought about it because Mitchell went to the Spurs game the Bucks lost. I don't know if Andrew went to – no, Andrew went and did uh, coverage for us at the Clippers game. And Mm. they lost. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm a little concerned. Us going to games is not good for the health of the Bucks. Although Riley and I did go to the Minnesota one and that was fine. Yeah. I was going to
0: say, I I just, sorry guys. I had to leave for a second. No. Um, I was going to say in just juxtaposition to your being the classy fan. I'm the worst fan in the stands. Like anytime (laughs) the bucks visit the Timberwolves, I am so obnoxious. I let it all out. I rib everybody around me. I try to call out the players, not like, you know, obnoxiously like, uh, certain fans across the uh, the nation, but I try mm. to be intelligent. Like when the Timberwolves or the Bucks are playing the Timberwolves, this is right after Jimmy Butler's they can't win without me uh, situation was going on. So I was yelling about that. I was trying to encourage, encourage Jimmy. Um, so I'm the exact opposite of you, Adam, but you know, to each their own.
2: Yeah, that's totally fair. Well, maybe who knows, maybe I'll have a change of heart and I'll start to, as People know my fandom has been fl- the the fans of the fire of my fandom has been newly newly uh, risen from the ashes this year. So who knows? Maybe I'll be awful at this game. Really annoying.
0: Are you willing yeah. to run out onto the court and say and scream "Brew Hoop" forever uh, before <laughs> really down? Or?
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I'm willing to uh, get kicked out of this Sixers game. For <laughs> for Bre- that's how dedicated I am to this Hopefully okay,
0: for your sake, the Bucks win the championship, so your wager money can go towards you. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Well, guys, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, of, of course, as per usual, go to brewhoop.com for all the amazing content we have there. I'm sure there will be some great stuff following that Sixers game, the Nets game, every game that comes out. Make sure to follow at brewhoop on Twitter, and we will tune in tune into another episode of the Bruhoo podcast next week might come before that hawks game because i don't feel like staying up till like 11 30 post that hawks game but uh we'll see regardless thanks as always for listening and we'll talk to you again next week on the streets of old milwaukee was a young boy walking